If you have a Bible, please turn to John 16, 32 and 33. Um, I'll read this portion of scripture and then um, I'll pray for our time. Jesus said this, verse 32. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The words of Christ, let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that um, as I as I teach um, our church, that you'd give me words, that you would give me your spirit, and I pray that by your spirit, these words would translate in ways that are a little bit different um, than we're, we're typically used to. But I pray still that they would transfer in ways that uh, bring um, hope to our hearts and enlightenment um, to our minds. Um, change us. Do what, what I can't do. Um, change our hearts. Meet us there. I pray in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Amen. If you uh, go into uh, Target or Trader Joe's right now, um, actually pretty much anywhere in the city, uh, you can only buy one paper product at a time. One pack of toilet paper, one pack of paper towels. And of course it's because people hoard it. My wife uh, sent me an article last week on the psychology behind hoarding toilet paper. Because we all know logically it's kind of insane. Of all the things that are necessities and crises, why toilet paper? The article said that in times of uncertainty, we grab onto what we can. That when we don't know that we'll be taken care of, by our government or our authorities, we fight to take care of ourselves. And when we do that, we hoard and we over-prepare. And this is why we hoard kind of everything or anything we can find. We hoard everything from toilet paper to almond milk, guilty. I was actually in the store the other day and all the shelves were completely empty except for like one like thing of like gluten-free pancake mix. And I don't eat pancakes, nor am I gluten-free, but I bought it because it was the only thing left. And I felt like, well, I should probably buy this. This is the mentality that we get into. I want to be prepared for anything. When I came home, Ashley's like, why did you buy gluten-free pancake mix? I'm like, I have no idea why I bought this. This is, this is kind of one of our, our ways that we, we try to hold on to things. We try to get prepared because we really want to be prepared. In our text, it's the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal. And these words of Christ are the way he's actually trying to prepare his disciples for what is in the near future for them. They are his last words of instruction on how things will go from now until his crucifixion. Now it would, it would be wrong to say that everything that the disciples went through and were told by Jesus that night is exactly what we're going through, even though the words, by the way, seem to line up perfectly. I, we can't do that because that would be a misuse of this text. However, there are things that are happening and lessons that are being taught by Jesus that do indeed apply to where we're at right now. All of us are scattered each to our own homes, listening via a computer screen or maybe on your TV, somewhat lonely, that is the experience a lot of us are feeling, and we're asking God right now for his peace. So what can we learn from this text? Well, first, we learn the universal experience of loneliness. 
Jesus is about to face a company of soldiers, a mob, a court, and then a cross. When this begins to happen, all his disciples um, have been, who've been following him for three years, who have lived in like really close community with him and each other, when, when Jesus is arrested, they all will scatter and all of them will go back home. This scattering will leave Jesus, the 100% human Jesus, all alone. It'll allow, he'll start to feel alone because Jesus can feel that. Jesus can feel loneliness. In his humanity, Jesus can feel loneliness because it's the universal experience of being human. Loneliness is the universal experience of being human. To be human is to feel alone. And this is the feeling, one week into this shelter-in-place order, that many of us have. We feel lonely. We have all gone, each to our own house, not because we've abandoned Jesus like the disciples did, quite the opposite. We are in our homes right now out of love, out of love for our neighbor, out of love for God. But that doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make us feel any less lonely that we're holed up in our houses because of love. Since the rise of social media, sociologists and medical researchers have been tracking the rise of loneliness in our country. Just a few years ago, the Surgeon General announced that we have a loneliness epidemic in our country. Medical science says that the lack of social connection can spark inflammation and changes in the immune system that weaken our immune system. How loneliness is more dangerous than obesity, it's, and loneliness is about as dangerous as and deadly as smoking. Now, in a cruel twist, right at the height of our loneliness epidemic, the way we are showing love and real friendship to our neighbor right now is to isolate, to socially distance ourselves. And so our loneliness can take this whole new level, and for many of us, it has, especially the single folks in our congregation. But listen to these words of Christ. He says, Yet, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. As everyone has gone to their own house, leaving Jesus physically alone, feeling the human pangs of isolation, the deep isolation of not just of, of distance, but for him, betrayal, he says, I am alone, yet I am not alone. I am alone, and I will be left alone, and one of you will betray me, and all of you will abandon me. I am alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Now, at this point in redemptive history, Jesus is one with the Father. So everywhere Jesus goes, God goes. What Jesus says, God says. What Jesus does, God does. Are you with me? So they're, they're one. So if Jesus left the room at this time, you can say God left the room. Jesus lives in union with the Father. So on one hand, when the disciples left Jesus, he wasn't alone because God was with him, because God and Jesus are one. On the other hand, when the disciples left Jesus and went to their own homes, they couldn't really say the same thing in the same way. They couldn't say, we're leaving you, Jesus, and I'm going home, and God is with me in the same way, because God, at this point in redemptive history, did not live in them. Are you following me? So, you can say at this point in history, when the disciples went to their own homes, they were alone. They were really alone. Now, what this text is saying, what this text is asking us or showing us is what would it be like if we could say the same thing as Jesus said? 
What if we can say, I am alone, but I'm not alone. God is with me. God is in me. See, this is the hope. This is the hope of the gospel. Just before this, in chapter 14, Jesus says, you're going to leave me, but I'm going to ultimately leave you. But you won't be alone. He says, because when I leave you, when I die on a cross to redeem you, when I rise from the dead to break the power of sin and death, when I ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, the Father and I will send another. We're going to send the Holy Spirit who will live in you and never leave you. Why? Because God at that moment will live in you. Look at John 14, if you have your Bible, just go to the left, one chapter, maybe a page over, John 14, verse 16, it says this. Jesus says, I'm gonna ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. See, do you see what ha what's happening here? When Jesus says from our original text in John 16, 32, that the disciples will all be scattered and you will all go to your own house and I'll be left physically alone, but I'm not alone because God is with me. What Jesus is saying is I'm making that available to you. I'm gonna make it available to when you, when you are alone, you will never be alone. When you are each scattered to your own house, God will be with you. Jesus is making that available to us so that you can never be alone. You might be alone, yet you'll never be alone. And this is the joy of Christianity. And if it's true, then there has to be some invitation from God who's with us and in us in the middle of our feelings of loneliness. If we feel lonely and God's with us, then there has to be some sort of invitation that God is doing inside of our loneliness, that he's at work in us. There must be things God is doing as we experience a loneliness that probably couldn't happen in any other way. See, we're in a season of Lent. Lent is a season of wilderness. It's a season of emptying. To get this effect, historically the church has fasted something, something at great cost to themselves. The feeling of this, this emptying, we, we want to feel empty and we want to feel, um, we want to simulate sort of the, these feelings of the wilderness. So we fast food, we fast alcohol or soda or social media or TV. These facts or these fasts are there to simulate an, an emptying of yourself to be filled with God. That's why everyone or the church has historically fasted during the season of Lent. Now, we're in the season of Lent right now and it seems like this year we're all fasting the exact same thing. We're all fasting each other. We're fasting human contact. We have all chosen loneliness as our way of the cross. But maybe there's something that God is up to even in that. Jean Venier, in his reflection on the verse that we're studying, says that there is an invitation in loneliness. He says this, loneliness is the total emptiness of the human heart, the final and absolute purification in order to become the place where God resides. But even in this loneliness, God is present because Jesus is with us in agony and anguish, just as the Father is always with him. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? See, these things are listed here because when we go through trouble or hardship or danger, things like plagues, viruses, sickness, the first thing that starts to happen is we question the love of God. Or maybe we question the presence of God because there are certain things that we can know about God intellectually. We can know, like everything I just taught you, we, we know this intellectually. We know, okay, God is with us. He'll never leave us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We understand the, the doctrine of the indwelling spirit theologically. We can even believe it. God lives in me. God lives, lives with me. Nothing can separate me, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. We can know this, but it takes actual hardship. It takes actual loneliness. It takes an actual, fa- an actual fast that we didn't choose to take these truths that we know and apply them to our own heart, to apply them to our own lives and experience in such a way that during our loneliness, the reality of God with us can produce in us endurance and joy and self-knowledge and courage and humility. And the only, you can't learn that by hearing a sermon. You could prepare your mind by hearing a sermon, but you have to live theology out for it to be applied to your heart. Right now is a beautiful invitation for God to apply the reality that he is, that we are alone, but we are never alone. This is where we can learn this in the trenches because it's one thing to believe in God, but it's a quite another thing to trust in God. We are all now drafted in a war of learning to trust God. It's one thing to have an intellectual explanation of how God allows suffering or how God uses suffering or how God is involved in suffering, but it's another thing to actually find a path through loneliness and suffering and trouble that instead of becoming more isolated and lonely, more fearful and afraid, more despondent and broken, you actually become more humble and strong and even content. I think that there is an invitation of God to do that right now. The second thing that we learn from this text is the promise that Jesus gives of peace. In verse 33, it says, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus seems to be teaching here that we will not be saved from trouble, but be saved in trouble. Jesus is not some esoteric spiritual guide or self-help guru. He doesn't say suffering is an illusion or trouble and pain must be avoided at all costs. Jesus teaches reality. And the reality is in this world, you will have trouble for many reasons that are your fault and things that are not your fault. And Jesus doesn't save us from trouble. We'll experience trouble just like everyone else will experience trouble. But there's a promise that Jesus does extend to us in troubling times. He says, you will have trouble, but there is an offer of peace. And there's only one place in all the world where we can have peace. And it's there right there in the text. It's found in those words, in me. Where do we find peace? In me, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace is available to us in the midst of trouble through our friendship with Jesus, in our union with him, 
in his infallible love for us. And remember the, the context of this whole passage. Jesus doesn't, uh, Jesus just got done saying that he's about to be arrested and out of fear, they all are gonna scatter, all his disciples are gonna leave him, they're all gonna go back home, all of them are gonna desert him. Jesus knows our, our frailty. He knows our fragility. See, there's been a lot of talk uh, about the church being resilient right now, that we have to be strong, and I hope that we are. But here's the, the beauty of what Jesus invites us into during troubled times. He says this, all of you are going to fail. That's what he says to his disciples. You're gonna leave me, all of you are. And I tell you these things, I tell you that you're gonna leave me so you have peace. So that when I resurrect from the dead and you see that what I was saying the whole time was true, you're gonna realize that you're fragile, but I'm the one that you trust in. Your peace is found in me, not in your courage. Not in you like pulling yourself up by, by like your, your own strength, not by you numbing out, not by you like trying to listen to certain things on podcasts to go, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find peace myself. It's not available that way. You're frail, I'm frail. Jesus says, you guys are all frail, but the offer of peace is completely dependent on me. Jesus knows how frail we are, how scared we can get, how full of fear we can quickly become. He knew his disciples were gonna bail on him. His disciples are about to be filled with the kind of fear that makes them afraid to go outside. And Jesus, knowing their fear, knowing their weakness, offers them peace. He says, peace is found in me. And so Jesus says, take heart. There's peace and you can take heart. That word literally means have courage. The word means to take stock of circumstances and prevail over your circumstances. But it's important to point out what Jesus doesn't say here. Jesus doesn't say, have courage and you will overcome the world. He doesn't say that. He says, have courage. I have overcome the world. Not you will, but I have. See, we have tried to overcome the world. Our global world and our, even our own private worlds. And I think we're, we're finding out through times like this is that we actually don't have that much control. We actually can't overcome our own worlds. The promise that Jesus holds out to us is that we can have peace in the reality that he has overcome the world. And if we are in him, we have victory too. Jesus is saying here, have courage. I have faced your enemy and defeated him. I have fought your battle on the battleground of human experience where you must fight. I have overpowered the rival. You can never do it, but I have done it, and I can do it again in you. Abide in me, and my victory is yours. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that we would receive... Oh, first of all, I just pray that you would see our frailty right now. There are many of us that feel very weak, feel very vulnerable, feel very fragile. And I know that we can have um, a lot of guilt heaped on top of that because we feel like we should have it together. I thought we've been doing all our spiritual disciplines. I thought we were ready for something like this. But the fact is, Lord, when things like this happen, we, we're, we're shown our own frailty. And I thank you, Jesus, that you know our frailty. Right in the midst of 
the disciples' frailty, you, you gave them the offer of peace. And I pray that we would take up that same offer right now, that you are peace, that our peace would be in you. I pray for anyone who hasn't um, opened their life to you or surrendered their life to you or in whatever language you want to use, like become a Christian. And I pray right now people would receive you as their Lord, the peace, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, that we would turn to you and in, in Christ, we would have peace right now. Come to us in troubled times. Be with us and be our Lord. Because Lord, we feel alone, but we know that we are not alone. In Jesus' name, amen.